Today is December 16th, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki nagana go me koche chestakom aki or de kots nekotine siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My name is Dakots Nagotine Siku. My people wore rabbit skins, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indehe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in, in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis, is Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2S LGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous but I share my journey as I walk the red road. As a Dene woman who's attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of indigenous and black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for an attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today and hope we honor the many lives of, of Indigenous people lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, as a treaty partner, and see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It is important to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring a host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage everyone to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestor's story of displacement and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, slavery background, or other land displacement. So we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonialism, op oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book on Reconciled explains this perfectly, as do many other Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but that would also be a part of the treaty partnership, meaningful reconciliation, honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. I honor the Blackfoot, as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. 
Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satchudene. My humblest apologies to the language keepers and elders as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south in the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed in 1877 with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can go pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps no matter what medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe or go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts. And you can go to my social media and see the pinned posts. Uh, I have the lucky, well, lucky for me, I should say, I have a returning guest, Marilyn Northpagan. Marilyn, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Okay. Uh, Michelle, how are you doing today? Anyways, um, it's nice to be on your show today. Um, People in Treaty 7 know me as Nanaki, chief woman. That was granted to me by uh, my adopted grandmother out in Siksika, Ruth Skelpok. Um, my colonial name is Marilyn North Pagan, and I'm a Canadian Forces veteran, and I'm a longtime Calgarian. My daughter is born and raised here. Um, however, my community is actually two and a half hours south of here, and I'm one of the seven nations that we know here in this area of Mohkinsis and minus Bikani. And it's always mis, you know, it's mispronounced in many different ways. And I always tell folks, you know, my last name, Marilyn North Pagan, we have the Pagan Trail here in Calgary and an act of reconciliation should be, you should know how to say my last name properly, <laughs> right? So that being said, that's a little bit about me. So I was taught that from a Bagani member that it's like a B gun and then slap your knee. So Bagani, yeah. that's how I learned how to say it. Absolutely. And if reporters and news reporters can actually say it properly, we should all be putting in the effort, you know, and you know how many times I've heard here in Calgary, my name mispronounced and it's the simple act of learning how to pronounce uh, you know, a Blackfoot person's name whose trail is here in Calgary is something important for people like me. And that needs to be understood, you know? A hundred percent. It is absolutely shocking to me how many Calgarians don't understand they're here by because of displacement of your people. Like it, I, you say it over and over, you, they say it one way, you say it a different way. They just don't want to get it, you know? Like that's absolutely. that white supremacy racism that's embedded they can't undo it. They can't undo that thinking that, oh, my, my land's on stolen land. No. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think a lot of it too, is we have to start learning how to braid our two worlds together in a way where we're not, you know, trying to take over, you know, the indigenous people anymore, because it's, it's, it, there's so much damage in this treaty seven area, you know, even down to the, our, 
youth today and people still are having problems seeing that yeah. for themselves and it's 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 so it's it's so hard for somebody like me who does walk in two worlds to watch this happen day in and day out and people going well I didn't know you know at, especially at the leadership level we should know I you so, know and I yeah. say it in my podcast every time like if you don't know these things you have no business running and yet here we are so you know speaking of running you and I have been on a bit of a journey the last little while and I was wondering if you would like to tell your story in your way well you know, we ran in the municipal election last year, you know, for Ward 7 here. Um, and uh, through the process of that, that was, you know, a, a very intense period at that time because I had come out of the YYFC Ask Her program and I wasn't really looking at, at running in politics because, first of all, there's no one like me that look, you know, looks like me that's in politics. There's no one that looks like me that advocates for me in pop politics. So, you know, it was just something that I believed that, that I couldn't do. But coming out of that, I think it was a, you know, a huge encouragement from my mentorship and uh, from the, my fellow classmates at that time that encouraged me to go ahead and take the leap of faith and be the first, you know, Blackfoot woman, Indigenous person, you know, Blackfoot woman to run here in the municipal election last year. And it was quite a process. You know, one of the things that I was really fearing coming into this was racists, racism. And that was the first thing we ran into coming out of the gate for the municipal, you know, the, the Kevin J. Johnston, where he was out promoting racist coffee and expecting everybody just to accept this, right? And so. You know, that was the first thing we walked into coming out. And um, I think one thing that kept me going during that, that time was the community itself, because we walked into a lot of the neighborhoods here in, in Ward 7 that were, you know, largely non-Indigenous. And they really opened up their hearts and their doors to my campaign and to me in general. And uh, just that warmth and that push to see things change. You know, some of these people have, have you know, found me during that campaign have, and have followed me into where I am today. That's how much they wanted to see this, this campaign succeed back then. But, um, you know, we had our ins and outs. And coming out of that, I really learned a lot about who I am as an individual. Um, Number one, my, my, my personal wellness, it wasn't really uh, taken into consideration on any level. And being a veteran, you know, a Canadian Forces veteran, I had, um, I had uh, lost all my lumber discs in the military back in 1999. And I ended up with a uh, lumberectomy and a discectomy at a very early age of 25. And that left me... Uh, the military was stating that I wasn't going to walk again. I was paralyzed from the waist down for about a year. And after about a good year of rehab and rehabilitation and trying to learn how to walk again, being in the University of Alberta Hospital, um, I was able to be medically discharged and come out with a full pension out of that situation. And I have still, you know, 
gone through the uh, after effects of that for since that my discharge and I've been able to hide it well but it's been a lot of fitness a lot of uh, pain management throughout the years and trying to understand what you know what healthy healing was because at that time in the military they didn't teach us a whole lot about you know wellness or taking care of ourselves or even how to make a dentist appointment so these were things that kind of hit me hard and I was self-medicating a lot with alcohol and you know through the years opiates and so coming out of that um I, you know I did I did have a really heavy opiate habit and I conquered that back in um 2001 before I got heavily into my university so you know during the municipal it was just the uh, all that marching around ward seven this aggravation of that injury just kept you know aggravating my back and then um to the point where you know people would go oh you need to get you know you need to go to the event like here's another Tylenol it started off with Tylenol and um, my back progressively got worse and worse. So by the time that the um, municipal election was actually called in October, um, I was so in chronic pain to the point where, you know, I was on very heavy meds and I was hardly getting out of my apartment anymore. I was hardly getting out of my bed anymore because I, it was just too excruciating. Meaning it to me, I know I lost the municipal, but I was in too much medical distress to actually even think about the fact that I lost. And within that, you know, at that dinner at that time, we had um, uh, we had a couple of our our uh, teammates there who were NDP members, and they were they were going, well, you know, this might be an avenue for you. And at that time, I was just looking to take some time off because I was in such you know, I was in so much pain. And um, so they started the process of me being vetted for the NDP. And um, I, I didn't think it was going to take as long as it did, but it gave me enough time to think that I was going to get healthy and I was going to get into rehab. And, you know, I was in physio at that time and they started me on cortisone shots through my spine, which honestly would last for maybe seven days and I was back to being in that medical distress once again. So, you know, that continuation on of that process um, and being in such distress, I think that January, 2022, when we finally heard from the NDP that our vetting had gone through. And, you know, like I was, I was already in a process where I was dealing with so much pain and trying to look at the, you know, the future of an NDP career, you know, possibly, running in this nomination, which I knew was going to be like a sprint, not like our municipal where we had that time to take our time. This was going to happen fast. So, you know, I was still in distress. I was in medical distress. I was on hydromorphine and, and then it turned into tremoset and then it turned into all these other things just to keep me functioning from 9 a.m. till nine o'clock at night. And if I was in a comfortable spot, I would sleep through the night, which honestly towards the, I, I was hospitalized three times over the year. The first time that I was hospitalized, my sleep was gone. My, um, the meds weren't working anymore. And I just, I, I couldn't get myself down. My anxiety was high. Everything was to the point where 
you know, I just couldn't function as a human being anymore. And this, this was all going on through the NDP nomination in Calgary Klein. So people didn't see that aspect, that behind the scenes, I was falling through the medical system and I was in medical distress, even for my, my when we did our uh, forum for the, uh, for the Calgary Klein nomination, um, I did it with the two other candidates that were in the, uh, in the race. And I did that from my hospital room from Rocky View attached to an IV while they were pumping medical fentanyl into my IV and I was answering these questions. And, you know, coming out of that too, I, I always knew that we were going to take that nomination. For the municipal, I knew we were, you know, I, I wasn't sure what was gonna happen, but I was sure that we were gonna get that NDP nomination and that's exactly what happened. And um, so coming out of that, we jumped straight into this, this situation where, you know, it's the colonial way of we do campaigning is we door knock and we, you know, we get out there, we march on the streets and we, we do all this stuff. Guess what? I had just gotten out of the hospital and, you know, they were starting me on more cortisone back shots and I could not even get out of this apartment. It was taking me three hours to build up to leaving my apartment and I couldn't even go alone. Someone had to come and drive me out. I was like using a wheelchair, I was using a walker um, and I would have to be so doped up on hydromorphine just to get to these door knock events. And I, I remember the first one early on and this wasn't even early on, this goes back to my vetting process with the NDP. Um, you know, they were asking me how much I drank you know, of alcohol and that, you know, one, one thing of alcohol, maybe we'll give you two glasses of water, but in, you know, even that in the beginning, I was starting to question, you know, why are, why are they asking an indigenous person how much we drink? Don't they know we all come from addiction? Like, you know, so that those are kind of things I was starting to ask myself early on. And um, through the process of us coming out of that nomination, we had been invited to go door knock with a prominent MLA from the NDP. And um, she basically set the tone for us coming out of that door knock. I had spent three hours because I was so excited to meet this lady. You know, she was she was an advocate for all these big, big issues that you know I was an advocate for. And we we had a lot, we should have had a lot to talk about. But instead she showed up and she basically told me that. A member of my team should have called a member of or up to Edmonton uh, because I had wasted her time that day and that she could have went to go door knock with somebody else. And that crushed me. Yeah. So this, you know, she should, you know, this could have happened outside of that door knock that day in front of my, my, uh, my team. So that, that was the carpet that was rolled out for me from the NDP right from the very beginning. And, you know, being in medical distress at that point, I needed someone to advocate for me so bad. I was falling through that medical system. That was just before the second time I ended up in the emergency room um, over at uh, Foothills Hospital. And actually, Michelle, you're the one who, who took me there. And that turned out to be a 16-hour day before I received pain meds. And um, it was just, you know, just the amount of racism that goes on in the emergency room, especially through our short staff currently. I got to see everything that happened firsthand and, you know, the way they've treat, they treated immigrants, they went, the way they, 
condescendingly talk to us when we're in pain and crying. You know, like I've, I watched it all. And the thing about it too is the second time I was in the hospital at Foothills, I was discharged with no medication, with two hydromorphine because the uh, intern uh, doctor there believed that I was just the indigenous woman asking for pills. And by the time I had reached my family medical physician, she was so upset because I was, um, I, I had no meds. I, I, had to, I had half a hydromorphine to, to go from, from an event to her office and then up to the pharmacy to get my prescriptions refilled. So that's how Foothills Hospital discharged me the second time. And within a week, I was back on medical, I was back into medical stress. So, you know, and they kept telling me at that whole time, oh, you don't need to see a surgeon. You don't need to see a surgeon. You don't need to see a surgeon. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, uh, the third time it was in June, um, 2022. And I ended up in palliative care uh, for 11 days at the Foothills Hospital. And there was a doctor that uh, received me in the ER at that time. And he had enough, you know, integrity to go and to look back at my file and go, you've been in and out of hospital for a year, what's going on? And I told him what was going on that I was just, you know, given hydromorphine sent home, and that I was being forced to, you know, NDP wanted this and wanted that. And, you know, like it was, it, it was just so much demand on me that he actually advocated for me in that emergency room. And I ended up in palliative care because of him, because uh, my pain was so out of control. I wasn't sleeping. The pain meds weren't working. My anxiety was out of control. Like it, I was just sealing on everything. So they put me on IV immediately and they put me all back on opiates in, and I was there for 11 days. And uh, during that time, during this time, my team that was coming out of the NDP, you know, they, they were out there door knocking. They were out there doing this. I had the, you know, one thing I'm really grateful for right now is to the uh, community association in Calgary Klein because, you know, the members came here, they delivered food to me and my daughter. They took us to, to they took me to my physio. They took me to the, you know, to the emergency room. They, they made sure I had company, you know? So these were things that we walked through with the, the community association. And I'm forever grateful to, you know, to them for, for, for bringing me into that community association and making me feel like I was accepted and that I was a part of that community. But that being said, in the background, the NDP and what they call central up in Edmonton um, right from that time that I had that initial door knock with that prominent MLA, things just got worse and worse and worse on that avenue. And honestly, right from the square one, I had to walk into this nomination knowing that if I woke up the next day that me and my daughter would be okay. Because I was being set up right from day one when, I, when they told me, you know what, you can run for the NDP, but you shouldn't run in Klein. You go run over there. And I was like, but this is my community. My daughter grew up in Calgary Klein. I know this community. And, you know, honestly, they wanted me to run in the Northeast. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm a West Indian. I'm sorry. You know, but that this is not my neighborhood. That's not my neighborhood. <laughs> so, you know, I was being directed 
to go and to run in, in, in any other area but Calgary Klein. And we decided it was going to be Klein and we went for it and we got it. But they had a preferred candidate right from the very beginning. Uh, you know, they wanted, you know, they want to appeal to the colonial managerial people in the community. And I wasn't it. So, you know, we, we just kept going, we kept going. And during this process that I was in medical distress, the NDP Central and Edmonton were collecting intelligence on me when they should have been putting their energy to advocating for me, you know, in the medical system. You know, what did I need? And, you know, they were, they were just collecting, making little, little tiny pebbles of dirt into a big mop, you know, pile what they were doing from behind my back this whole time that I was actually, you know, involved with them. And, um, you know, it was, it was so, it was so degrading. And to, to the, the fact that I actually went to their convention, like we talked about political conventions, I went to the NDP convention that was held here in October. And I think I was not even a week out of surgery. And I really pushed my, my, my surgery, by the way, was October 5th. Um, October 5th of 2022. And that was when I actually stopped being in pain. And even then I still have that limp, but you know, it's, I, I worked really hard to get to that convention and, you know, I wanted to be a part of that. Instead, I realized that all the, the well, the, the two indigenous candidates were giving this huge platform and I was sitting in the back of the, uh, the auditorium and talking to the security guy because he was nice. And on your territory why, yeah and the reason why this actually happened um is because actually back in uh june before i went into um i believe it was it was uh it was in september and see i'm starting to lose my memory out of all this too um i had a a, a gentleman that came down from central and he came and he you know came to one of the events that I was speaking at and that was before my surgery and I was still using my walker and it was very hard for me to sit there and to wait for my turn to talk but before I actually finished this event this man had disappeared right and so I was okay well you know and then uh, we went you know we went for a walk and you, you and I Michelle we went for a walk and you said he said some terrific things that Calgary Klein is, you know, uh, it, it's guaranteed that this is going to happen and that, you know, our campaign is doing like you had po just all positive things to say. Yeah. So I was feeling really good about that. And then, uh, you know, especially being where I was feeling the last few months with the NDP, I was feeling they were making me feel like I was a failure because I was in medical distress and they were making me feel like basically I was a lazy couch sitting Indian that was collecting my welfare check. That's the attitude that I was being barked at from this organization right from the very beginning. So, you know, um, having to come and hear that kind of news really kind of picked me up a lot, especially getting ready to go. You know, I was supposed to be as calm as possible the, the last month before my surgery because it was going to make life easier in my you know, getting out of the hospital easier, right? Yeah. Um, so a week later, this man, and his name is Jeremy Nolis or Jeremy Nolay or whatever he wants to be called. I heard he has a different name, 
And um, actually I've heard from some of his buddies before. He used to be a human being at one time before he got this position with the NDP. He's now the chief of staff. And he actually demanded to meet me by myself. You know, so I, and I turned around and I told my assistant at that time I wasn't driving on my own. I was on narcotics. I needed somebody to get me out of the apartment. So, you know, I told, I told my assistant, no, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Again, we could, we get a text message. He wants to meet you by himself. So I turned around and I told you, Michelle, listen, you're coming, whether you get it, you know, whether he approves it or not, you're going to be there because I can't go alone. And we showed up to, to this Alferno cafe that Friday afternoon after my, uh, my, my appointment with my surgeon, actually, we were with my surgeon and uh, we showed up there and then we had signed, we had just received the news that day I was going to get surgery October 5th. And then we went to this meeting with Jeremy Nole or Nolis or whatever. And um, I walked up and I was very happy, but also too, I was very under suspicion because I was in medical distress I was waiting outside the cafe, sitting in my, my walker, and you had gone to go park the car. Now, a person with common sense, knowing that they were gonna meet a, a veteran with a disability, would have met us outside at that patio where I was you know, sitting right in front of, which was, you know, it, it was accessible for me at that time. Yeah, so and it was it, a beautiful was, day. Through, yeah. We walk through the front door and where is he? He's standing up on top of two levels of stairs, almost like I wanna see this native woman walk up these stairs with no effort to help us, no nothing. And then I told you, let's do this. And you folded up my walker and I grabbed the side of the rail and I pulled myself up those two level of stairs. Yeah. So by the time that we got up there and we sat down at his table, I was already back into medical distress and those three hydromorphines I had taken to get through that meeting had worn off by the time I'd done that. So he offered to buy us coffee and what does he do? He goes down the one level of stairs to the counter and he orders us coffee. And then I put you at the table uh, next to us so you can watch. Cause at that point I was already starting to feel like this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, first of all, any 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 man who has read the MMIWG report would not be phoning requesting a meeting by himself with an indigenous woman. This, that was the first, the first sign. The second one was him standing at those top of the stairs like, okay, native woman, walk up these stairs. And this, the third one was, you know, I, was, I sat down, I thought he was there to actually show his support for me to tell me what was going wrong while I was, you know, these few months going through these door knocks. You know, that's what I thought he was there to do. And I had so many, you know, awesome things to offer him. You know, number one, we need to get, you know, this, this representative that you're bringing to us some cultural sensitivity training because she was treating our indigenous, you know, volunteers like, like garbage. And she was treating me like garbage, you know, like, and I'm the candidate. So she needed training. And number two, we had nailed down the virtual network on campaigning during the municipal because of what I had 
started to go through. And we were utilizing that, you know, meeting the community. And still, this was not, you know, good enough for them. They wanted me to door knock. They wanted, so, you know, these these were all the things that I I was sitting down thinking I was going to talk to him about. Instead, he called, you know, he was pretending like he was going to take notes. And then he just looked at me, put his pen down, and he goes, First of all, you are not a team player. First of all, and then, you know, just all these things that I had no idea where they were coming from, accusing me of all these things. And I, I showed you that email and it came from who is now the provincial secretary and her name is Nancy. She, she was the one who um, was actually sent to me afterwards. But anyways, like, you know, once this interaction happened, he wasn't there to listen to me. He was there to conduct a disciplinary. And from that moment on, I think I just went into a red zone because it just reminded me of those, you know, residential school priests where they come in and they shut the door and the abuse happens. And guess what? It's their word against yours when you walk out that door. That's what I was being cornered into. And the the fact of the matter is, you know, I'm glad you were there, Michelle, because that's what would have happened. It would have been his word against mine. And it still turned out that way. So, you know, with that being said, I didn't allow him to conduct his disciplinary. And then he turned around and the only thing I heard was almost like a toddler. How come I can't have first hand access to you? That's what he was telling me. So there's two things that hit my mind. Number one was my my 15 year old daughter. And, you know, I've had, I've lived in a community where a lot of abusers have gotten through the parental levels because of the threats, threats like this. So that's another thing that I went to. What is this man asking when he's saying firsthand access to me? Does this mean my, uh, you know, I'm a single mom. I I raise a, a daughter. Is is like, what was he asking for? Another thing that I thought about was my police commission. Was he asking for political interference into my position as a police commissioner? here in Calgary. So with that being said, instead of me taking it, I, I turned around and I told Jeremy Nolis that he can go fuck himself. And I turned around and I told you, Michelle, look, we're out of here. And we left. And I, honestly, because I was in so much distress prior to leaving that meeting, I almost collapsed as we walked across that parking lot because of those stairs. And I spent the next eight days yeah. in distress yeah. because of awful. this meeting. But, you know, the next morning I kept thinking, I never slept that whole night. And I kept thinking, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like normal or, you know, something's not right. So I had phone a colleague of mine and uh, she's in the policing field there. And I, I just ran, ran this bike. I told her, you know, am I... Am I hallucinating or did just that was I just assaulted yesterday? And then I told her the story. And um, yeah, so it's it turned out she told me, you know, what you're thinking is probably dead on to what you're, you know, what you're suspecting. And I think you should report, you know, try to report it or do something. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I reached out to another prominent MLA in the NDP. 
and who um, who reached out to somebody else and I was actually contacted. This is where we go back to this provincial secretary, Nancy, who is now the, the provincial secretary. Um, she reached out to me, pretended to be completely understanding, taking my statement. Oh, I understand. Oh, this is, and I told her, this is, um, this is real, this is like, this is not good conduct for a chief of staff to be, you know, to be doing to an indigenous woman. And then she was like, oh yeah, I understand, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then within a half an hour, she had emailed me back in the exact same language that Jeremy Nole or Nolis had used on me in that meeting, meaning she had hung up the phone and she ran and she told this man that I had called and that I was going to lodge, you know, that I was looking to lodge a complaint for his uh, conduct. And um, yeah, so, you know, lucky for us, we have, we have a, a lawyer on our, uh, on our team and I had reached out to him immediately. And this, the ball started rolling in, in it towards an avenue of a mediation. And my uncle was the one who picked up that ball, but he also wanted to talk to Jeremy Nolis about why he conducted himself and why he actually um, pushed this meeting like this upon me without, you know, without my consent. So it, it, everything was just, really becoming very fishy you know like I was almost being put up in a corner or something you know and so my uncle had negotiated Adam North again he had he negotiated this mediation and we were going to sit um, with the brass the Edmonton brass of the NDP to figure out how we can come to an agreement where our you know our uh our campaign can go forward in a successful manner with, with everybody at that table. Now within that mediation, I would have had my opportunity to, to have my voice with the brass. But within an hour of that mediation, I believe it was the morning of, we had received a, I don't know if it was a call or an email from Brandon Stevens saying that that mediation had now turned into an investigation. So I was, again, silenced from telling my story about what I was going through um, to whoever this brass was, right? And um, we didn't even know if the investigation was investigating me or if it was investigating Jeremy Nolis. So again, we had to start making emails and uh, Will, our law lawyer, had to start making uh, uh, start making phone calls, start making, you know, it just, we weren't being told anything. And then all of a sudden we get this, um, I believe it was an email stating that they were investigating Jeremy Nolis's conduct, you know, to me. And I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to be hurt. You know, they're going to bring in an outside interviewer who's going to take my statement and something's going to happen. Well, I gave my statement and, um, you know, I'd be willing to actually uh, deliver, you know, distribute a copy of that as our uh, campaign lawyer took, uh, took the dictation of that statement during that day. And um, once again, this investigation that they started went up into a vacuum and they never told us anything, absolutely anything. It was dead silent. And then our, our lawyer reached out and goes, okay, well, 
you know, we want a copy of, we want to know where this, this investigation is going and we want a copy for our disclosure. Now, legally, anybody is allowed a disclosure, but unfortunately we weren't. And to this day, we still have not seen the contents of this investigation where they did tell me, and you got to remember, during this meeting, I was in medical distress. I was in a walker. So um, we had one of the MLAs who I know is a, who was a part of this scheme since day one. Yes, Richard, I know you did this to me. The, that he turned around and he, he basically stated, he called my uncle and said, yeah, so Marilyn aggressed Jeremy. <laughs> so she's, you know, this, she was the aggressor. She was the one who assaulted him. And can I just oh. say, like, I witnessed this whole damn interaction. No one from their investigation team, no lawyer, no one from the party, certainly not Richard. Nobody contacted me to verify any of this ridiculous story that I'm hearing now. Nobody, yeah. not one. And absolutely. And that renders this investigation that they use to withdraw my nomination as incomplete and without that disclosure to our team possibly even illegal right but that being said you know what i did catch nancy jeremy and steve uh, stevens brandon stevens doing at the convention when i was in the locked door meeting with the ca they were trying to push a resolution through to make sure that no uh, no uh what do you say backlash would come to anybody in that organization so why they're trying to cover themselves up within the convention without anybody else seeing this is beyond me but the lady who actually stood up and spoke against it was mysteriously defeated in the provincial secretary um, election a few hours before and they gave it to nancy so you know you see how all these pieces come together and in in the process um all you know we, we should get into the city too you know because at that time um dan mclean and a couple of uh, uh danielle smith's uh crew were uh promoting and making fun out of rocket 99 which happens to be my community right so this was a huge problem when we were younger as youth and all of a sudden now they, they're reintroducing it back to um a whole generation of new youth so uh, during my medical distress and everything else I was going through, the chronic depression, the chronic pain, everything, I had these municipal and Danielle Smith's crew making fun out of me and putting out Brock at 99 posts all over the place. And then, so, I, you know, I, I went back and I, I backlashed on Twitter, you know, I, no one was sticking up for me. This person was suing this person. This person was suing this person. But I'm the one getting made fun out of. Where who am I suing? You know, so it was becoming a lot. And so then, I'm, I'm just going to interject for one second for our listeners, because we have half of our listeners are in Ontario, half are in Alberta. And what folks don't understand is that this is very personal to her because this is her community that is making fun of. And who's the only person from that community who's at, at this time political? You. So it is incredibly personal 
And I, I can't imagine, uh, and I'm just going to say this as a, a comparison, I can't imagine, you know, a bunch of white people out in Montreal making a fake radio station that depicts Mohawk in a really negative light, and that being totally socially acceptable for people of prominence to be doing, and absolutely nobody doing anything about it. I mean, we have a counselor who raped a 16-year-old, and uh, in a police uniform, that's not, nothing's getting done about that like i i don't think folks understand how corrupt and racist and sexist and awful it is out here and you in dis medical distress is trying to run a campaign the first blackfoot to do it and this is happening and they're all suing each other meanwhile you your community your daughter indigenous people in general are being made fun of and absolutely like i get angry at these people who say they're our allies because they sure weren't standing up yeah and i'm going to tell you, you know the ndp were really advocating truth and reconciliation and look at how they treated me right from day one where you know you can run for the ndp but go run over there you know a lot of it is perform oh it's all performative. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now that they have no idea what truth and reconciliation means. You look at how that those frontline workers were treating our campaign team. You're right. You know, it's, they have no concept of it. And the thing about it too is they're trying to take an Indigenous woman and put them into their racist structure. And what they did is they set me up for failure right from the very beginning. And you know, that goes back to the residential school of taking the savage and civilizing them, putting them in a suit. And you know what that is? That's residential school manner, you know, mentality. Absolutely. And this is exactly what they walked into this with me doing. And you know what I'm going to tell you? The UCP, they're no better. You know, one's blue and one's orange. The, the fact of the matter is they're both under a racist structure. And you look at how at least the UCP they're, they're really out there with their stupidity to Indigenous people. The NDP, you look, look at what happened to me these, these last few months, where they could have put their energy into seeing our campaign succeed. Right. They were investigating me behind my back while I was in and out of hospital. So you tell me what, you know, if, if, if I have bad behavior, which is actually what they used to withdraw my nomination or, or my candidacy. As they said, I have bad behavior and coming, you know, being a Calgary police commissioner, I, you know, that was quite insulting. And even with like, I haven't seen this report. We haven't seen this report. So we should have been given disclosure before that went to the Calgary Herald. Right. Completely. And you look at all these people that were doing all these things in the background, but I'm the one who had to apologize. <laughs> so. And I still mean that apology because it did turn around, you know, like for me, it was about our team. It was about the community, but in the end, it became too much. And I'm going to tell you something as an Indigenous woman, as a, you know, as, as a single mother, the NDP is not a safe, open spot for a, a, a single Indigenous mom and her 15-year-old child. Yeah. That's what I had to come to. And honestly, within those last that last month of being with the NDP, especially after this interaction with Jeremy Nolas, you know, we had tons of security around us since then because of how much fear I went into because of this man. And he was allowed to get away with it. 
And you know what, to this day, you know, he still thinks that he has it over me because, you know, it was his word over mine. And this is how democracy, democracy is right now. Yeah. We have gatekeepers. And how am I going to turn around and tell other young Indigenous women, you know what, you might as well give up your political career because we're all going to run into Jeremy Nolis's. And he doesn't like Native people. You know, that's know. basically where I'm at right now. Do you think I'd tell an, another Indigenous person to go through this garbage? Yeah. Hell no. I had a friend I did a podcast earlier today with and you know, some UCPer was like, oh, you should get, uh, you know, into politics to this young activist. And I said, let me warn you, and I say it on this podcast, and I'll say it over and over. If somebody has the audacity to say you should run for politics, make sure they commit to writing a check, fundraising, and an endorsement, because if they don't, they're not serious. They're just saying that to pet your ego, not because they're real or serious about it. And it is so toxic right there, right now in politics. Yep. And you look at what I've been through. We need policies in place if Indigenous people are going to run in this colonial political system. Yep. Because you look at the amount of violence that I'm going through just to reach the table, just to do the same thing um, that I've been educated to do, which is write policies. Yes, I am. Um, so, you know, and this was the second time I seen it. I seen it against Jody Wilson Rainbow. And when I talk to nonprofits, like Community Wise has an anti-racism policy so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. But we don't see that get instituted in nonprofits. We don't see it being instituted in these political parties. So these places are not safe for us as Indigenous people. Like having one Indigenous person on a, as part of a caucus would not be a safe space for you because you have a whole caucus that has no well they have their racist because they haven't had the anti-racism training and they don't have the indigenous education so they certainly don't know how to interact with you or anyone else indigenous for that matter so well, you um, know yep. they, what they were looking forward to what this jeremy was looking forward to was that i was desperate that i was desperate to get an mla spot but what he didn't realize is that uh, i had already walked into this with the attitude that if I woke up tomorrow, I would be okay, me and my daughter. So I wasn't desperate and he couldn't dangle the money and the power and the, everything over my head. And that's what he didn't like. And uh, once, once I pushed back at him, that was the end of my, my, my position with the NDP. That was that, that, that's what ended it was I told him no, or I told him, he could go fuck himself. <laughs> you know, uh, one thing that is has been missing from what your story is today, and uh, you know, I I, I don't want to bring it up if you don't want it included, but is the story of uh, getting COVID and your grandmother. Would you like to tell a bit about that to folks listening? Well, in May, uh, it was at the end, I, uh, May twenty fifth. Like during this time when uh, I was spending a lot of time in chronic pain and, you know, battling with my chronic depression through that, uh, on May 25th, um, me and my grandmother, it was, yeah, it was towards the end of, I think it was beginning of April, I can't even really remember, but 
we had contacted, we had contracted COVID in, in my household and my, myself, my mom and my grandmother had gotten really sick. And I had on top of my, my chronic pain and everything else, I, it, it again pushed me back into medical distress. And um, I was getting really nice, lovely letters from, you know, from the NDP. Oh, we're so sorry this happened. And, and then uh, we lost, my grandmother was the one who passed away uh, coming out of that. And, you know, I couldn't even go to her funeral because I was in too much medical distress and to, you know, to even attend and to even make the, the journey down and was, was, was hell. Like it, it was such a, it's almost like a, an ending that never happened, right? So with that being said, within our Blackfoot culture, like she's our, matri you know, our matriarch, she, um, she passed away and we honor that through mourning for one year. And that is so you don't carry on the grief and those, you know, those negative things that come with mourning with you as you're traveling your journey beyond that. And we tend to complete that at the end of the year with a, with a feast. And we're going to do that at the powwow next year. We'll be having a huge community feast to see our, the end of our, our morning, but that happened in April and there was no, um, there was no acknowledgement from the NDP of, of me being in, put back into medical distress. I was back in the hospital at that time. And, you know, the fact of, of even asking about my cultural protocols that I had to get special permission to continue on this, uh, you know, this campaign because this was actually not allowed in my culture because my grandmother passed. And as you can see, you know, my hair is gone now because that's a, that's a sign that I'm in mourning. My, everybody in the Black, you know, country knows I'm going through mourning right now. So none of that was acknowledged. None of that was even talked about. Instead, they probably, whatever went into this investigation report that we are yet to see, you know, I just have a feeling they collected more dirt on, on me during that time anyway. So, you know, and I'm gonna tell you, they, they took away my candidacy um, almost, what, two months ago? And I have never been the healthiest since because the pressure's gone and I, you know, like they took so much of my self-esteem away. Yeah. They took so much of just my fight, yeah. you know, and I needed, I needed to be in rehabilitation. I needed my medical, I needed my self-wellness. Like even my, my, my veterans affairs pension was all in limbo because I was being reevaluated because I just had a resurgery, you know, so it, it was just one thing after the other. And the NDP had their opportunity to show true truth and reconciliation by coming to the table and meeting us halfway to see us succeed. Instead, I was assaulted. I had all this dirt collected on me, which we, we haven't seen. And then I was, you know, I had to go battle with these, these people over Brock at 99 and they used that to strip me of my candidacy. So, you know, we really have to think hard. And I said this a lot of times, we would really have to think hard about who we're gonna put into governments because I'm gonna tell you right now, from the way that Danielle Smith 
you know, she tried to defend herself by saying she was an indigenous woman. I don't know if you know she said this, but she did say this after we went after her about, yeah, racism. She's, she tried to say indigenous woman. To the NDP who are just plain hiding the fact that they're racists, you know, you're not going to get any better. I'm going to tell you that right now. Citizens need to start advocating for a new system of structure and they need to start getting rid of these internal human beings who are gatekeepers who think that because I don't, you know, because you're not going to give me firsthand access to you, I'm not going to give you MLA or money. That's the way it is. And that's exactly what happened to me. So everybody's got to be forewarned about that because election is coming next, next, next year. And you know what? I haven't seen any movement really from either party. And you look at what the NDP did to me in my own territory. I wasn't the one up there giving the big speeches or talking about how I was, you know, helping with policing or anything like that. You got to remember, I was at the back of the room talking to the security guy because he was a nice guy. Yeah, well, you talk about team uh, playing. Jesus, you have a long history in security, the entertainment industry. You ran three campaigns, technically. Um, you know, you're a police commissioner. When people even have the audacity to try to say you're not a team player, like, I, I honestly, like, how is it that people don't see how ridiculous that is? You, you have never, you can't be in the position you're in without a team even the white goose flying report, like you're a co-author. That means there were other people at the table you were working with. Like it, it is shocking to me that people think that it's okay to, to defame you, slander you in that way. Um, I've been really excited to like have this conversation so that people can know, you know, um, on one hand, cause I, I seen immediately after they let you go, this huge campaign of, oh my God, we so love reconciliation. I actually had to quit following a lot of the NDPers because I'm like, really? Then how come you're losing your NDP um, Indigenous volunteers and candidates? Like, explain this to me. Now, you know, and, and I'm going to give context. Worse, Go ahead. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. During, you know, people knew I was being harassed and that I was going through racism. They would walk past me and just nudge me on the shoulder and go, Hey, I know you're going through hell. Sorry, I can't help you. Are you all right? Okay, bye. You know, that's how they were talking to me about it. I just yeah. had to mention that. Yeah, no, it's like that. I, I'm just going to give context, especially to our Ontario listeners who might not be aware of this. Like every party has their like real internal politics, right? And we've seen outcries from past presidents to try to talk about the harassment issues that are a toxic environment that's in the NDP. And I know members of the disability community have tried to engage in the same way. And even today, I see folks um, really calling out the NDP other than Janice Irwin, who I have nothing but good things to say about other than her she's the the entire caucus like they don't wear masks so that is uh perpetuating disability because of the amount of uh covid that's still going around that's still and and the flu and now there's this new one a uh, middle east virus of of covid they say something like 30 percent like death rate it's ridiculous so i just i 
I can't understand how you can be saying, oh, we're here for health workers and we're, we're here for, for healthcare for Albertans and, the, and then not wear a damn mask. You know, like, like, so there's a lot of problems with the NDP internally here anyway. And uh, what they did to you is just another, you know, feather in the cap of uh, their crapola and um, not just racism, not just sexism, but discrimination um, with ableism, a veteran. And, and it, it wasn't kind of said, but for folks who don't know, Marilyn's grandmother was like her mother. So, um, you know, like this is a, a huge loss to Marilyn and she got permission from the Blackfoot to continue on. So I just wanted to give that incredible context of how ridiculous the situation is and no outcry here whatsoever by our so-called allies who claim to wear orange shirts on orange shirt day and uh, red dresses on red dress day. Like, you know, the proof is in the pudding people are not standing up for you well other than folks on your team obviously so yeah. um you, you know, know it's been such a battle going through medical distress and not having anybody to advocate for you at that level was like i said uh, this is probably the, the healthiest i've been in a year and i'm actually walking on my two legs now and i'm going to all my physio i got a team that looks after my wellness and that was not there for a year. And, you know, I'm, I'm so disappointed because I walked into the NDP with my heart open because of how the Calgary Klein community brought me in. Yeah. And this is what they did, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. It is what um, it is. You know, there, there were so many like microaggressions, macroaggressions. It was an incredible experience for me, but I, I know no matter what, I'll stand with you forever and uh, in any capacity I can. And I hope that. Folks... Well, I don't think this is over because no. this just tells us that how, how unhealthy and toxic these systems are and how much they need to go. Yep. And how much we need to actually get rid of the Jeremy Nolases and the Nancys and the Brandon Stevens because they're there to protect themselves and to maintain power and control they're not there for the community you know they could have they could have helped me out a lot and instead they backstab me hey that's that's what yeah no concept of oppression dynamics whatsoever it was so disappointing even for me i i had hoped that maybe this would be the way and you know, you know me, I'm a liberal. And there were so many times I just bit my liberal tongue. But when it came to this, there were so many similarities from what I've seen. And at the end of the day, colonial politics is just meant to exclude Indigenous people rather than expand the table and hear other points of view and, you know, bring in those anti-racism policies that help everybody, uh, because really they're anti-oppression policies. And uh, that would really solve a lot of the issues they, they have. But, you know, they just all they care about is winning the next election. That's all um, they care about. They don't care about anything else. And nope. we're just switching one racist system for the next racist system. And yep. when is it going to end for people like me who actually have the capability of braiding two worlds together to make things better for seven generations? Like, like we, th we all have to think about the violence that I've gone through over the past months just to, and you got to remember, I won my nomination, you know, so, you know, that's, like I said, it is what it is. And everybody's going to take a lesson from this 
and understand that nobody's better than the other right now. The only person that knows a story other than um other than me is uh, a friend of mine who was in there scrutinizing for one of the folks that you ran against. And uh, when they started doing the numbers and it was so clear that you were going to win by a landslide, like I couldn't help it. The tears just started crying because I thought this could be our next justice minister. And uh, that was absolutely the highlight for me was knowing you just blew that nomination race out of the water. And um, when I, when I popped out, I couldn't even look at you because I knew, I knew if you, if we made eye contact, you'd know, you'd know what the answer was. So I just hid in the kitchen until like they I finally said, announced like it. I, like I said, <laughs> and this is kind of like a, maybe a learning point from us is I wasn't the preferred candidate. So one way or another, they were going to get me out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, lesson learned. And for all the indigenous people out there who are hearing about politics, just know, like you, all of us know what kind of racism we face daily, and we we face it within all of these political structures. And um, obviously, you know, I I I think one of the highlight was having a lawyer, a friend, a part of this entire process. Uh, so I highly recommend if you're Indigenous and you're ever consider running that you make sure you have a good lawyer friend that's uh, with you on the entire journey. Uh, another example of team playing, I might add. So. Just, um, you know, I was honored to be a part of your journey. And, um, you know, as we move forward together, obviously, I'll always be there for you until you're tired of me. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're going far. I'm going to, you know, I'm coming back in the New Year's. I am taking my uh, commission seat back and I will be at my public sitting for January and if folks don't know that within the uh, November organizational meeting, I was uh, reappointed back as the uh, vice chair. So we're going to, you know, I'm still into my anti-racism policies, even though our provincial don't, don't want that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, really honored to have you on the show to tell your story. So thank you, Marilyn. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Nope, just uh, keep an eye out for Team Maryland in the uh, new year. You know, just because we're going through all this violence right now to get to the table doesn't mean that I'm stopping because I am a soldier. But the thing about it is I've been broken down by this country. You can't do it twice. Yep. Um, One of the worries I always have had with you is suicide. And I just want to throw that out there because we just lost a person, a prominent person, Ellen's like DJ. And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to throw it out there for everybody that if you ever need help to reach out because you are worth more than a situation like this or, or whatever it is that you're going through right now that it feels like it's, it's endless, it, there is always a sunshine. And I got that from you just now, too, where it's like, well, we got shit we got to do next next year so you know it's there's yeah. hope there's a new horizon there's a new day there's a new moon we're moving forward exactly we have to yeah all right thanks to. Marilyn. thanks for coming on and sharing your story i'm so honored to be a part of it i was honored to be a part of your journey let alone you telling your story so thank you for coming on yeah awesome um 
so for folks who are interested in doing actual reconciliation work and not uh, performative platitudes like we see, uh, please don't hesitate to join the Reconciliation Action Group. Uh, we just try to hold every order of government, sports club, everybody to account when it comes to reconciliation action. Um, we also have the Settler Book Club and the Indigenous Book Club that I run. The next one in January is Chapter 9 and 10 of the National Inquiry into MMIWG2. I swear to God, Marilyn, I hope you write some books because like you need a whole book just on the type of violence you face. Well, my coloring book is almost done. So. <laughs> <laughs> and a sense of humor throughout the entire thing. I swear to God, that's my favorite part about being Indigenous is that you have the most ridiculous stuff thrown at you and you still make ridiculous jokes and Oh my God, I've been forgetting to tell you this and I, I'm going to tell you on air and it's sticking forever. You know how we always kind of jokingly say off air and, and kind of in closed ways, we're like, oh, I'm so sad panties auntie about this. Well, I just heard, I just seen this one and it was be a strong thong auntie. <laughs> ah, that's us. That's us as women. Go. Mine has to be pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Auntie laughing. That's my, that's healing. I don't care what anyone says. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety training and cultural first aid and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Thank you, authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, Alicia Fridkin of heretohelp.bc.ca for what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work are cultural action tools, so please support Indigenous work like that to be a part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experienced by the structure of white supremacy and racism imposed on these lands. Donna Bevins has a wonderful website called racialequitytools.org and has a whole file just on internalized racism. Strongly recommend do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So if you go to afsc.org, you will find countless amounts of resources on how to interact with people because I know when I'm on the sea train nobody's helping me um, and I want that for everyone uh, if you're wearing hijab if you're in a in a wheelchair whichever um, yeah just a you know off-handed comment that it just came out we've seen a police officer not be charged at all with uh, you know throwing somebody off a wheelchair and stepping on them and kicking them here's a great example where I watched all the other police officers in an e EMS not do the bystander intervention. So do it, folks. Holy. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be disregarded no more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs, you know, kicking out Indigenous uh, and uh, not MLAs, uh, candidates before they can even become MLAs, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for uh, migrants, immigrants, and folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. 
demand that they implement the TRC calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, you'll hear us refer to that as RCAP. The multiple reports about child welfare reform, those come out yearly, and violence prevention. And now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Provincially in Alberta, the government created 113 pathways to justice. So all the blue voters should be holding their blue MLAs to account on it. Follow the new Premier's uh, Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Uh, municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report, one of the co-authors right here. Uh, denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Municipally, um, or, or sorry, our people are experiencing extreme racism at the educational health, justice, sports club institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from election platforms and policies. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties or local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. They're out there. If you're experiencing emotional, emotional distress after anything we talked about today, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also go to their website at hopeforwellness.ca. They have a little text option there. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. For non-Indigenous, there's almost always a functioning 211 wherever you are, but the distress center line um, that you can call nationally is 833-456-4566. I want to give a shout out to Marilyn's uncle, Adam, for being one of the founders of the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. If you see or experience racism, you can report it at 587-507-3838. The following are uh, two SLGBTQ crisis supports. I want to give a shout out to the Trevor Project, first and foremost. You can go to lifevoice.ca. Uh, and two numbers I'll give you is the Trans Lifeline in Canada at 877-330-6366. And for our youth, 866-844-7386. Know that you matter to us. And pick up that phone first, please. Um, our government is absolutely failing when it comes to the drug poisoning crisis that we're experiencing. It's overburdening our ambulance, our hospital systems, and using up scarce resources in a time of a pandemic, costing taxpayers. Um, if you or someone you know is using a substance, don't use alone. If you are using alone, that there are two apps you can download, the Brave and the Doors app, or you can call the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS in order to create safety plans. Um, you know, we, we've lost over 100 people in one month alone in April. And uh, the list for the longest night of the night has come out. For those who don't know what that is, on uh, in December at the solstice, uh, every year the Homeless Foundation, the homeless uh, organizations uh, say the names of the over 200 people that we lost this year in Calgary alone to homelessness. And, uh, you know, these things matter um, because... Ultimately, this is policy, poor policy that has caused this many deaths, is straining the system, 
And anyway, violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. That's why I started the podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many non-Indigenous don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us their ignorance uh, by people who know nothing about uh, colonialism, the constant surveillance of, my, of Indigenous peoples, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on macro and micro aggressions daily, so it's unacceptable anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism or gatekeeping and that survive off the status quo. Folks who are really in their trauma and stop people from doing the work. Internal and external racism is an everyday for reality for me, Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her. I'm a second generation. Uh, thank you to Darcy, my husband. Um, Big Buffalo Rockman has not just produces and edits this show. He has been my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, witnessing decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, Thunderpipe, Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us discussing these present-day issues in a way that they'll understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pinned posts on social media. And I always end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. So thank you folks for listening always. Oh, and happy new year.